Well, good morning and welcome to our service here at St. Peter's Free Church. My name is Craig and I serve as Minister in Training. And let me add my welcome onto the welcome that I received from Stuart earlier. Now, over the next three weeks together, we're going to be looking at James chapter 4. It's a stark passage, isn't it? I wonder if, as Stuart read it, you, you recoiled, perhaps physically, if not at least mentally. James says some stark things to us in this chapter. Now, we first started looking at the book of James way back in October 2019. And of course, we picked up the series again last week. And what I want us to do after such a long break is this week to, to have a helicopter view looking at this book of James. I want us to look uh, from above at the letter, to look at the, the wood as a whole, if you will, before we dive into the trees of chapter four over the next two following weeks. And hopefully this will refresh our thinking about James and help us to better understand chapter four when we come to it fully. Because when we look at the book as a whole, that really helps us to better understand each passage in it. So that's what we're going to do today. Big overview stuff on James chapter 4. And for this, to be honest, I received a lot of help from one of my lecturers, Andy Gemmel at Cornhill, and uh, Nigel Stiles and his EMA talks this year on YouTube. Please do check them out. They are well worth your time. But before we dig in, let me pray and ask God for his help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. And so we ask, may that happen today. May we hear the voice of God. Father, we ask this morning, may you incline our hearts to your word and not to anything that this world has to offer us. Open our eyes, we ask, to see wonderful new things perhaps in your word. Unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is to ask three questions this morning of the text, which we'll look at. First off, why was James written? Then we'll look at how was James written? And the third question we'll ask is, what does chapter four add? Now, since we'll be looking at big picture stuff today, we're going to be doing a lot of flicking through the Bible. So uh, I'm really sorry about that, but hopefully you've got a Bible open in front of you. That's always a good thing. And if that's not normal for you, perhaps today could be the day to start a new practice of having your Bible in front of you as we look at it together. So let's look at our first question this morning. Why was James written? Well, James, he was Jesus' half-brother. Uh, half and if we're honest, if we look at the book, it can be a bit confusing. Sure, what he seems... Um, so what he writes, it seems quite straightforward. At times it seems to really grab us by the scruff of the neck and, and shaking us about, but why he wrote it? Well, that's a bit more tricky. See, this book can be confusing. It can seem like individual sections sort of hanging together, like, like pearls, I guess, hanging on a string. But when we read through, there's one big issue double-mindedness, literally two-souled. James states this clearly twice. If you turn to James chapter 1, 
Verse 8, he says this. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And in chapter 4, verse 8, what was read earlier, he says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the big thing here, double-minded. A lack of singleness, divided, two-souledness. This is why James wrote his letter. And we can see here, it's, it's explicit in these verses. But let me see a few places where it's in the letter. And actually, it's everywhere throughout the letter. Let's look at a few. We looked at one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Now have a look at chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Be a listener of God's word and a doer. These people have a divided response. They're one, not the other. Look at chapter two. We've got the example, don't we, of the rich and the poor man entering the church building and how you treat them. Chapter two, verse four says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Literally, have you not become divided within yourselves? From 2.14, there's the example of of someone uh, in need but not doing anything. It's a divided response between faith and deeds. 2.19, there's people who believe that God is one, single, undivided. And so you'd expect a, a single, undivided response to his words. But their response is divided. And James says the demons do better. There is unity in their response. Or how about chapter 3? Have a look at chapter 3, verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Again, a double response. Or think of the end of chapter 3 last week with Harry. Two types of wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, demonic wisdom. What we see, you think, is that chapter 2, it's, it's an example of double-mindedness. Chapter 3, it's, it's evidence of double-mindedness. It's as if James says to us, you aren't sure that you're double-minded. Well, stick out your tongue and let me show you that you are. Well, at chapter 4, well, there's divided loyalty. Have a look at verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And look at the response again in verse 8 of chapter 4. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And finally, what about chapter 5? Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 5, where he mentions Elijah. I mean, why is Elijah mentioned there? He sort of comes out the blue, doesn't he? What's the prayer he's talking about? Well, I was talking about the event with Elijah on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21 says this. Let me read it for you. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 
and the people did not answer him a word. Do you see that this idea of dividedness, double-mindedness, it's mentioned explicitly twice, as we said, but see how actually it runs all the way throughout this letter. And what this dividedness, what this double-mindedness produces, what's wandering. Have a look at verses 19 to 20 of chapter 5. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It's the image, isn't it, of the Christian, they're they're moving forwards, but they're veering off course because they're double-minded. And they need someone, anyone, to bring them back to save them. When our kids were younger, I used to like going out on, on late night drives when they couldn't sleep. I'd go to McDonald's, I'd get my, my drive through, my hot chocolate to keep me going. Be off driving down the roads around Dundee on the dual carriageway, perhaps to Perth. And sometimes you'd see the driver, the head drifting, the car veering. And they need that toot, that, that wake up to bring them back on course, to save them. See, James wants to bring Christians back from their wandering, which is caused by double-mindedness. He wants his readers to be complete Christians, to be single-minded. It's a very pastoral letter, James. Double-minded, two-souled. And James is writing this to a church, isn't he? Or to churches. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of double-mindedness within the church. Perhaps it's, it's the minister with a mistress. Perhaps it's an elder stealing money from the church. But being double-minded, well, it's a danger to all of us, isn't it? Just have a look at one of those verses earlier, chapter 3, verse 9. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. Think of those times when we could meet together and you're praising God here on the Sunday morning and then drive home cursing somebody in the car. Or praising God perhaps here and then tearing somebody down in an email the next day. Or another, look at chapter 2, verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. How will you treat them? Imagine if we were meeting together, I don't know, a Christian celebrity like, say, I don't know, Tim Keller came in, or someone important in society like, like Nicholas Sturgeon came in. But then behind them comes Wee Davy from the Maltese and Lockheed. Please, Tim, please, Nicola, come and, come and sit here in this good seat. Not those naff seats at the front, at the side, which, if we're honest, no, no one wants to sit in. Or after service, perhaps kind of get a selfie. The ha- hashtag Sturgeon at St. Peter's trending on Twitter in Dundee. But for, for Davey from the Maltese and Lockheed, nothing. He finds his own seat, no one wants a picture. Treated differently. You see, what we see in the book of James is that 
if you think you love God wholeheartedly, you need to look at how you treat other people. In my experience, sometimes, not always, but sometimes when people want to study the book of James, it's because someone, if they're honest, is doing their head in. I want to get to one of these, I don't know, really sharp pastures and say, and say, see, I told you so. But if we're honest, as we've been going through James, as we've been looking at some of the things, even over the last few minutes, we might think, do you know what? To be honest, that sounds a bit like me. See, James wasn't written to bash people over the head, but said to bring them back from wandering. And at times, at times we're all a bit double-minded, aren't we? We have our feet, one foot in this world, one feet in God's world. We think and behave like the world and we think and we behave like Christians. So when we feel that, when we read passages like that and we, f- we feel that awkwardness, that tension in our hearts, well, we need to repent and to ask God for his help and not to wonder. That's why James is written. Because that's what the single-minded Christian is. It's the repentant Christian. That's the complete Christian. See, this is why James is written. To stop this wandering off that's produced by double-mindedness. See, what's also helpful for us to grasp is the question... How is James written? So what we see here, I think, is some key pastoral wisdom. So we've looked at why was James written? Let's think how was James written. Turn back to James chapter 1. Let's have a look at the opening verses there. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. It's all very normal, isn't it, for an introduction? Perhaps it's like Jewish feel, 12 tribes, but really it's, it's very general. No specific people though, no, no places mentioned, just the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Perhaps what we have here is no more than an ancient blog, thewejimmy.com perhaps. General blog posts written perhaps for no one really in mind. Or perhaps what we see in this letter which think what we will see is that the tone changes as the letter goes on, that perhaps it's not so general. See if you notice a change as we go through some of the letter. Have a look at verses 19 to 20 of chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anyone could have written this, couldn't they? You can imagine it on your social media feed. You know, they've got a nice stock picture of a sunset and this text over it or, or some people in, in Starbucks or Blend with their flat white and got this text over it. It's just quite general, isn't it? Good wisdom. Something we all need to hear, perhaps. Look down a few verses, verses 26 to 27 of chapter 1. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Again, it's quite similar. It's, it's very general. Striking there's a speech thing again going on in there as well. Let's look at chapter two. Let's see if things change there. Have a look at verses two to four of chapter two. Suppose a man comes into a meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's a situation, hypothetical, perhaps. Rich man is made a fuss of, the poor man mistreated. But now look at verses five and six. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? You. But you have dishonored the poor. It doesn't feel quite so general now, does it? The rich exploiting the poor, that's generally what happens in the world. Very often wealth buys you better lawyers. Yet James seems to know about legal cases that are happening with people in the church. Look down a few verses. Another hypothetical situation, perhaps. Look at verses 15 to 17. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accomplished by action, is dead. Then look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, James, he, he already seems to know what they're going to say. He seems to know their objection already, doesn't he? This letter, as you go through, it's beginning to feel less general. Perhaps a bit more uncomfortable as well as we go on. How about chapter three? Well, let's turn there. Begins general again, doesn't it? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. But look down in verse nine, we've read before. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Cursing. Now that's strong, isn't it? It could still be general, of course. But compare that back to chapter one. Now he's talking about them cursing. Things are getting more specific, more pointed as we go on through the letter. And now we come to chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I mean, the heat's turned up here, isn't it? The fighting, quarrels, battles, war. Let's read on. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I mean, this is serious stuff, you know, isn't it? This is serious accusations, James is saying. I mean, it does not seem, though, that James has a particular people with a particular problem in mind. Verse four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I mean, can you imagine chapter four being written to to a general audience, to anyone? A, A sermon or a blog post with nobody at all in mind? I don't think so. Do you? Maybe. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But I think what we see here is that the further you go in the letter, the more specific it gets. We'll see that in chapter five, it gets even more specific. There's certain people in mind. One of the reasons why I think it's helpful for us as well to have this overview of the letter is that if we were to jump into chapter four, well, I think it would have been really unwise. And to be honest, potentially dangerous and damaging for some of us. Imagine the first thing that you have read in James or even in the Bible. The first thing you hear in the TV this morning is, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer, and your tender conscience is gone. That would be hard to take, wouldn't it? In this book, there is clearly a problem in this church between people. See, James doesn't start with chapter four and bang their heads together and say, get on with each other. See, when, that's often what we want to do, isn't it? When we see people we love, people who we want to get on, we just want to, ah, get on together, will you? But James starts off gentle. He doesn't go straight to the problem. He's patient. He starts off with things all people struggle with. Trials, testing, finances. Chapter two gets perhaps slightly more personal. Example of double-mindedness. Being close to bone for them with the rich and the poor. Chapter three gets even more personal. Double-mindedness when it comes to their tongue, having a forked tongue. And then he comes to chapter four. See, James, he could have gone, couldn't he? Chapter one, verse one, to chapter four, verse one. Then we should read it. It flows. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He could have done that. It flows. But he didn't do that. So why did he do what he did? I think this is why. Because James knows who he's writing to. And he knows that their behaviour is resistant to being confronted straight away. 
You know, we're quite quick, aren't we, to perhaps deny what people say? Take offence, perhaps, or, or perhaps blame circumstances or someone else. See, James reminds us in this letter that some situations are just too complex. Some relationships have just gone too far to simply say, get on together. Instead, what James does, he says, look at this. Now look at this. Have a think about this. Do you notice you do this? This is why. So repent and stop wandering. James isn't weak. James isn't dodging the issue. But actually what we see here is James is patient and is pastorally wise. Let's remember the questions we've seen so far. Let's remember our first question. Why was James written? Well, we saw James was written to stop people from wandering from the truth due to their double-mindedness. We've just looked at how was James written? We've seen that it's written most likely to a specific group, a specific church or churches, and letter gets more specific as it goes through and sharper in tone until it reaches its sharpness, its point in James chapter four. And now we come to our last question. What does chapter four add? Let me read it again. And we'll look at this question. James chapter four from verse one. Let's read it with these lenses, the double-mindedness thing that we've seen so far. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for spirit he has caused to dwell in us? but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, we'll look at these verses in depth next week, but James doesn't simply say these Christians are double-minded. He says they're being double-minded because they're two-timing God, that they are committing spiritual adultery. Again, we'll look at this properly next week, but do we see the build-up to this throughout the letter? See, if James is just a collection of sermons, if James is just some ancient blog post, perhaps, then I don't think the original readers would have taken notice of this. It's just too sharp. You'd wriggle out of it. You just wouldn't write something like this without people in mind. You don't write something like this to a general situation with nobody in your thoughts. What James has been doing, he's been like a doctor. He's been taking them through their symptoms. 
not listening, getting angry quickly, bad-mouthing people, prioritizing the rich over the poor, wanting the limelight for themselves, wanting the praise. And he says, these aren't the main issues. These are symptoms. And if he leans forward and he puts his finger right on the problem, right where it hurts, you adulterous people. The reason why all this is happening, the reason why they are double-minded is because they are two-timing God and committing spiritual adultery. When you trusted God, he said, I will be yours, you will be mine. And we said, you will be my God and I will be yours. But now James says that they are cheating on God and lusting after the world. See, the problem in this church, it's not false teaching. The problem in this church is dysfunctional relationships. So when people aren't getting on, when they're getting angry quickly or perhaps just being a real nippy sweetie to somebody, in chapter four, we see that perhaps it's, it's a theological problem because it certainly was for these people. The way we treat others says something about how we treat God. That's why James has taken all this time to get to this point, to get these readers from their behavior with one another now to this point, their behavior with God. See, James, James, he wants complete Christians. He thinks that friends of God should, be, should fully follow God. They should not have their souls going after two things. And as I said, if we're honest, all of us at times are double-minded. We're all a bit wobbly. And we need to repent because a single-minded Christian is the repentant Christian. But what we, see, what we see here is a warning to those who aren't repenting. What we see here is a warning to those who time and time and time again have dysfunctional relationships with people in the church. And if that is you, you need to wake up to that. You need to repent of your double-mindedness. But also in our passage in chapter 4, again, what we'll see in depth next week is a reminder that God is much, much bigger than our two-souledness. Verse 6 of chapter 4, but he gives more grace. Which is why by his grace we can sing, Lord, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We're sorry for the times when we are double-minded. We have our feet in, in two camps, so to speak. When we live as a Christian, then live like the world. Please show us in our lives where we do this because we want to follow you wholeheartedly.
We want to be all in in following Jesus. And how can we be any less? For he was all in in dying to save us. Father, for those of us this morning who particularly need to hear this warning, open our eyes, we ask. Help us to repent. Father, as we spend the next two weeks spending more time in this chapter, continue to speak to us, we ask, through it. Keep us humble, we ask, always trusting in Christ. We thank you that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. We thank you for your grace that is greater than our double-mindedness. You are stronger than our wanderings. We pray all these things for his glory. Amen.